Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Welcome to River City. My name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you this morning. Um, every Sunday we read from the lectionary. It's a way that we bond with the global church um, as well as local churches around the world who also share and read in the psalm. Today's psalm is from 133, um, and it says... A song of ancients of David, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If we could bow, it was a short one today. <laughs> and we can bow our heads in prayer. God, we just thank you for this Sunday. Um, thank you for the opportunity to fellowship. Father God, we pray for spring. We pray that um, you bless us with warmth. Um, thank you, Lord, for joy and laughter and happiness. Thank you for a worship team who is going to talk to us and sing to us about your faithfulness, Father God. Thank you for the opportunity in which we are able to gather as believers, gather as those who are seeking the Lord, Father God. God, we pray that everyone finds their, ta their spot at the table here at River City. Um, allow us to be a community. Allow us to practice the unity you spoke of in the Old Testament, the unity that Paul talked about in the New Testament. Father God, you left salvation for everyone. You left it for anyone that is willing to believe, Father God. You left faith for us, God. You left hope for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, Easter has come and you have risen. So many here have not yet felt the resurrection. They have felt something die, or they have felt the darkness. They have not yet seen the light. And so God, for those in this place, in this space that are living in the tension of hope and resurrection, 
will you give them the courage to lean into the tension and to lean towards hope and recognize that resurrection has already happened inside of them, God. So Lord, the things that need to be brought to life, you have already brought to life in us by the power of the Spirit. So will you encourage our heart today even though we might not be able to see it, even though we live in the now, but the not yet, that resurrection has come, that the light has shined into the darkness, that there is a hope, that that's what it means when you are good. How can it be that you are good and things are bad? That doesn't make sense, but we lean into that mystery and we lean into that tension and we lean into the resurrection and into the hope. And I say that even though I can't always prove you are good, that deep in my spirit, there is a truth that knows. The trees whisper it, the sun shines with it. The wind blows with it, the grass grows with it, that you are good. And so with all creation, we raise our voices to lift you up, Jesus. Servant King, who as we lift you up, you again kneel low to serve us. Jesus, as you wash our feet this morning, as you serve us, with your love, with your death, with your resurrection. Bring us to life again today and tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next. We thank you for this space, for this community, for this, your church, that you promised would endure no matter what. We thank you for that. And we are encouraged and strengthened by that today. It is because of you we are here, Jesus. And everyone said amen. Um, but I do want to give you guys a quick update on myself. As you know, I wasn't here for two weeks because I have back issues. And um, this is literally the second time I've been able to get out of the house. Yesterday I went to my son's game that I coached and I had to sit in a chair in the outfield and scream because I'm on steroids, and evidently, um, I, I know you can tell just by my physique, but also Sarah, Sarah mentioned that I, she thinks it might have heightened my intensity a little bit, along with some other parents, so I was guessing it was probably accurate. But today, uh, I'm just thankful I can be here. And I'm, I'm just going to, we're going to, by the end of this service, we're going to pray for some people who have chronic pain, because this is my first window into that, and it is not easy, but I'll just tell you this for myself. It, it, when you walk through something difficult, it reframes the things in life that are truly important and helps you to remember literally the day after this happened, the first thing I did was I called Noelle and she showed up at my house with a needle and shot my back 10 times with it. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> she's fantastic though. And Brad as well. They both have helped, but uh, it made me thankful instantly and mad at myself that two days before I didn't have time to like spend a little more time with my kids. 
or just go in and be in their bed a little longer before they go to bed, or this thing at work that really wasn't important, spending four hours in my day. It really helps you reframe. And so in a lot of ways, things like this are a gift. And for me, I was able to start labeling. God, I have two feet that I can walk on. I can see with my eyes. I can hear. There are people right now that are crippled beyond what I can imagine. I can understand things. I am slowly getting better. It's awful pain, but it's not anywhere compared to what some people are walking through. The gifts that he's given me are so much more highlighted in struggle. It's like the times when you have to go through the difficult is when you really notice how good God is. So I I say that to say, please keep praying. But more than that, God is really great. And he's been so faithful to me. And thank you guys for praying. And thank you for being a church that when I wasn't here for two weeks, I really missed. I didn't, I wasn't, I wanted to be here in community. I wanted to see your faces. I wanted to hug you. I just, I'm just thankful for that. I'm also thankful that Jordan and Bill and James and Julia and Sarah were able to completely run with everything and Katie and Jessica and there was no glitches and we just have a great church and I'm thankful that God provided that before I had to go through this. So did you guys enjoy prayer week? Anybody get, get to come do that? So good, right? Thank you for everybody who did that. Um, it was, was really important for us as a church. Um, Father, I just pray that you somehow make, make this like you've done historically through people that you've used to speak. And there's not really any quality that steps out and stands above any other quality with somebody you used to speak other than a willingness to know that it's not them that has the power and it's you that gives the Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, then you can speak through me today with a hurt arm and back, with sending awesome elders and with everything else going on, you can speak. And I trust you in that. And so today, as we talk about the craziness of Mark chapter 13, I pray that you would help the things settle in that need to settle in. In Jesus' name, amen. We're jumping back into Mark, and we've been in this for a long time. And we're going to travel all the way to the end of Mark. And today's passage is one that most churches would just jump right over. When, I, when we preach through a book of the Bible, the reason why it's so beneficial is because you cannot jump over these passages. Because they're not easy. They don't jump out and make you want to go hug a dog or go jump in a pool. And I think that there's an important aspect of having to wrestle with those kind of passages. It's very important to read things in Scripture and have to look at it and be like, that doesn't make sense. I can't frame that in my mind. What do I do with this? And then not actually get all of the answers satisfied. That's what's happening in this passage. And so just first and foremost, though, this, um, this is about two days before Jesus is going to be taken. Two days before he is going to be uh, taken and killed about five days before he's resurrected. And they're now leaving the temple. In the last chapter, chapter 12, he had these series of different religious leaders that came up to him and tried to call him out on things. And Jesus, as he always does, not trying to win any arguments, just speaking the truth in love and saying what needs to be said, destroys each argument from the Pharisees and the scribes to everyone. And his disciples are sitting around on the temple, on the top of the temple, watching this happen. Each of these prominent people that walk up just being destroyed in love by Jesus and walking away and Jesus having said what needs to be said and they're quietened. Now they're stepping outside of the temple. Temple's beautiful. Some people would have said it was one of the wonders of the world at this time. And they're transitioning and you have to, if I'm one of the disciples, a couple of things are happening in me. He keeps talking about how he's about to leave us and we're about to have to do some stuff. So that's in my mind. And I'm also thinking this is a really interesting, great guy to be following around. For that to have just happened 
And for him to be able to do that with those people and to be able to stand up in just and truth, they're probably leaving this temple feeling a little bit of pride, feeling a little bit of like, Jesus is kind of bad. He's kind of a, a bad dude in a good way, like, like feeling good about life, right? Like not really understanding anything about the resurrection or the death of Jesus, still not getting that, just thinking, this is pretty, this is pretty lit, if you will. And so they leave, and then he jumps right into some things that why would they jump into this? And so for me, this passage specifically growing up, it's the passage that talks about the abomination of desolation, which is not, not necessarily the kindest phrasing you've ever heard. And it's coupled with a lot of end-time theology. And it just instantly reminds me of settings when I was growing up, sitting in really uncomfortable environments, hearing people talk so much about the rapture or the coming of the Lord or the second coming or the parousia, and just leaving those experiences feeling so overwhelmed, not that Jesus is a loving God, but that I'm probably not going to heaven. Literally, that was my thought all through childhood. And whenever I was in communities that focused so much on this, feeling like, I'm not really sure that this is even worth jumping into. This is just my story. And it also brings up a couple other things that I want to talk through right off the bat. At the beginning of this chapter, they walk out of the temple, and the disciples are enamored by the temple, and they look up. And it reminds me of times in my life as I stepped into ministry where I felt like the kind of temple I served in or the size of a temple really mattered. And this is a real thing for me, stepping into ministry maybe 15 years ago, 40 now, no, maybe 18 years ago, and literally only being interested in opportunities of large congregations. I'm not embellishing that. I had a pastor call me from Indiana. He was like, we can't pay you. Probably been the best experience of my life. Can't pay you nothing, but I promise you we'll treat you guys good. We'll put you in a house and you come serve with me. I was like, how big is your church? Well, we're not that big yet. How much can you pay? Not, not enough. Well, let me pray about it. Wasn't going to pray about it. That wasn't for me, right? That church is not big enough. I've got a seminary degree. You're going to call me and ask me to come work for free. I got a seminary degree. Are you serious? I would exclude anything that did not have the possibility to grow quickly. I was enamored with temples. And I think it's because a lot of times we receive our identity from what kind of organization we're a part of. And if you're a part of a small church, you must not be very gifted or talented. You must not have one of those like gifts that God would use, like, you know, the, the Benny Hinn type gifts that you can do all kinds of crazy stuff and nobody even cares. Like you can throw your jacket at somebody. Who cares? You don't have that kind of gift if you're, if you're at a small church. And then the second thing that happens is, in this is they instantly hear that some bad things are coming and they're asking for signs for when it will, will come because they would like to avoid it. And that also reminds me of times in my ministry where I would only go for things that were safe. They're literally walking out of the most pristine temple into persecution in this chapter. And I would only look for ways to walk out of persecution into a temple as I started ministry. If it's not safe, it can't be from the Lord, right? Seriously, God doesn't want you in any hard situation. This is where American theology and really any theology of the Western world really does damage is that all of the most beautiful work in the Bible is done in situations where safety is not the most important thing. Our gospel is with us today 
because our Jesus decided to step out of a temple into persecution and it exploded across the world. And because of that, we have him now. And so the two biggest things for me going into ministry, the size of the temple matters and it needs to be safe. You need to pay me enough. I need to have insurance. I already heard about what my friend makes. We got free chapel. So I need to make that much. I need, I, need, I need to have a house. I need to have two cars. I have one car now and a bike. It's kind of hard with one arm to do the bike. I'm going to figure that out. But it's much better. It's much better. My life is better with less. It's just the things that we think are safe aren't really safe, right? Like the things that we think are most important, especially when we're entering into ministry like these guys are about to. These guys are about to be thrown into it. They have no idea. They get an idea when he says to them, you're going to be beaten in front of people at court. That's pretty straight to the point. And so today, I just want to talk a little bit about how we don't need to miss being present in everything that he's doing, looking for the things he's not asking us to look for. He has got us exactly where he wants us. And just because you have a hurt back or you can't preach without holding your arm does not mean that God is not great and that he's not deeply in it. And if you try and skip through it to get to the next thing that's better, you might miss the most important thing ever said to you. Ever. This is the gospel. That with those heated situations comes the most impactful things, the most memorable things, the best times in life. Nobody in this room can tell me about a hard time in their life that you did not learn 10 times more than the best seasons of your life. The gifts of God are different than our gifts. It won't look like a pristine temple. It can. And yes, he can usher us into a temple. And we can serve in a temple. But we got to stop pretending like it's all supposed to be temple blessing. We have to learn how to thank God for, for the things that he gives us that really shape us. The hard things. So I'm going to read you this passage. He's very frank here. He's very honest. He gets right to it. It doesn't make sense. They ask him about a temple. He starts talking about don't be led astray by false teachers. It's like, what? Jesus, come on. I'm asking you about the temple. So let's just read this together. This is Mark 13, 1 through 23. And as they came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one here that's left a stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Olives opposite the temple, so it must be a little bit later, they've gotten across to the other side, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things and what will these things and what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, nothing that related. See to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. I'm going to say that again. Do not be alarmed, right? They're asking for the sign of when the bad things are coming. He doesn't even talk about that. He says, when the bad things are happening, don't be alarmed. But be alarmed about this stuff. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. 
but be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. This is, I think this is the first time they're really hearing what's going to happen to them. And it's so plain that they have to really think, okay, this doesn't look like an overthrow of a government. This doesn't look like the day of the Lord's coming. Everybody's demolished and we're now ruling in this temple. This is involving us having to give something that we were not expecting to have to give. And they're definitely not ready yet to give. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. I'm going to read verse 10 again. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is one of those passages people jump over, right? Yeah. But when you see the abomination of desolation, which actually sounds like a wrestling duo, like, (laughs) Josh, you know what I'm talking about. Welcome to the stage, the abomination of desolation, hailing from Polk, Tennessee. The abomination of desolation, which I'll explain what some of this means in a second. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant in those days who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may happen in winter. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not had been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possibly the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Thank you. What? I'd be like, we were just talking about how pretty that temple was, Jesus. You took it to a whole place. That's a beautiful temple. You're talking about the abomination of desolation. What's happening? So how do we even make sense of this, right? Like, so there's some passages for this community, this would have been imagery and understanding they would have known about because it comes from Old Testament stories talking about the day of the Lord. Some of it imagery, some of it poetry, some of it real, some of it, there's really no way to say this is exactly what this means, which is part of what this passage is trying to do in us is to teach us you have to rely upon Jesus in these settings. Another interesting thing about this set of of passages is that in about 40 years, the temple is destroyed by Titus. And a bunch of people, instead of going to the hills, decided to run to the temple where they thought they should go. And over the next few years, they starved and it was the worst famine that had ever happened. It was so bad that people started eating their children and sharing it over dinner. This is how bad it was from them. And only a few went to the hills. So Jesus even told them this is going to happen. And when it happens, go to the hills. We'll be like, all right, guys, I think it's happening. We should probably go to the hills, right? No, let's run to the temple. No, we'll do that. Like 1.1 million people did that. 
And they were all killed, either by the sword or by just the worst things ever. And so for these people, this is an actual story. And although it does point to, and next week we're going to talk more about kind of the end times stuff. It's so interesting to me that they're trying to find answers about how do we make sure we're ready when this happens. He doesn't care to talk to them about how to be ready when the stuff out there happens. He says, I'm not going to tell you about that, but I will tell you about some things to be on guard for. What's the church doing in the setting? What's happening in the church? What's the church doing? He's already told them not to be alarmist. So like in 2011, when we all passed by the billboards, that somebody had enough money to raise to say this is when the end of the world is happening. You guys remember this? There's billboards. Somebody had paid money. This is God has told me this is when it's happened. I'm just letting all you guys know. I'm just doing you a one-up solid favor. And so when that doesn't happen, he redoes it. I missed the year. It's actually next year. Sorry, guys. It's my bad. And then when that doesn't happen, he repents, right? Because no one knows. And I don't think I need to spend any time talking about how we've created avenues and dialogues that spend so much time on things that aren't here instead of focusing on being present where we are. It's like when you're here on vacation, you're leaving the next night, and you can't stop thinking about how to get packed. And, like, I, that's me. When we're going home, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm starting my process. We're getting packed. The whole last day is like, might as well have just gone home the day before. This is stupid. <laughs> then you get to enjoy the beach. Like, enjoy the beach. Pack late. You're at the beach. Be there. Enjoy life the way that Jesus has called us into this world to take the mission to the world. The gospel goes to the world where the gospel conduits. We take the. We don't need to form our entire ministries or television shows on making sure people know about the end times. Not that it's not happening. Not that it's not going to happen. It's just not the. It's not the emphasis, right? It's the wrong emphasis, right? The emphasis is now. The emphasis is now. Did y'all not really get that till just then? <laughs> I have such an intricate humor that I need to slow my... I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just glad you guys laugh at some points. It makes me happy. So Jesus is prepping them, okay? He's prepping them because it is hard out there. And the way he does it is by letting them form their own questions to start. They started with questions. Isn't that a beautiful temple? And... Can you show us what will happen? For them, this is important because the temple is a very strong sense of identity for the Jew. Very strong sense. They're just talking about how beautiful it is on the top of a mountain. They can see everywhere. This is where people go to worship. This is what we are. This is ours. And they probably think in some way when Jesus does what he's doing, they're going to retake this back. This will be ours again, right? Like for them, there was no redemption theology. It was the day of the Lord is coming. The bad is gone. Everything's wiped out. That's why when you read stories in the Old Testament, wars, they start killing things that doesn't even make sense. Like we're going to kill the dogs, the flowers. We're going to burn the land. We're going to eat the wood. There's going to be nothing left because their mindset was all bad goes, all new good. There was no idea of redemption. Like this can be redeemed, right? There was none of that. For them, if the temple is gone, this is probably already tapping into so this temple's going. Where are we going to receive our identity from? So they get nervous and start asking about, well, tell us when this is going to happen. Tell us, how do we avoid this? So Jesus' answer is huge because Jesus is trying to reform the new temple. You already know that in Acts 17, 24, it talks about how the temple 
that God lives in is not built by human hands. And then you know in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 that we are the temple. We collectively are the temple. And so he's talking about this new temple that will be implanted on earth, that will be in people, that will be a mobile temple that's not confined to a place, that will actually thrive in the setting of persecution. It will actually do its best work in the worst times. So it's good to stop declaring over things that aren't under Jesus. And I know that Jesus is ruler over all. But it's, it's not our job to make sure that government finally gets that Christianity is important. It's not our job to be alarmed when it doesn't. We need to have our voice, of course. But our job is to make sure as we're in this setting, what are we doing? What are we doing with what we've been given? We are literally the way the gospel gets to the world right now. You in this room. Like we're not going to be pumping any more T.D. Jakes or any more sermons from, what's his name that just passed away? Billy Graham. We're not just pointing people to these people. We all are these people now. So we settle in and we ask the questions. God, what are you saying? So I would just say to you, what are the questions you're asking God? This is very formative. If you can know yourself enough to know, what am I asking God? Right now I'm asking God, heal my back. I'm literally asking God, heal my back. When I'm laying in bed, heal my back. It's not getting much better. It's been two weeks. Please heal my back. You're a healer, right? Like I'm going to sing a song even on the couch when I'm watching the Masters. Thank God for the Masters. Thank you, Jesus. What perfect timing, right? But I'm literally saying, I would like, and I've, I continually hear his response. I'm showing you something, Josh. You've been praying all along about your identity as a pastor, trying to perform. You've always prayed about your worth being built in man-made temples and man-made things and comparing yourself to others. What if I remove every possibility of worth through things that can be produced through your body? What if I do that? What do you then have? Like, I hear him saying this to me over and over again when I can't turn over at night in bed. I hear him saying to me, I'm showing you more now than I've ever showed you. Quit rushing through the desert. You're not ready. That's what he's saying to me. But I had to ask the question, will you stink and heal me, dude? Like, this is awful. I look like, I don't even know what this looks like. And if I was really doing what needed to be done, I'd be doing this. But if I preach like this, somebody's going to get me on. A picture, and it's going to be awful, but that's the best. So, sorry guys, we're going late. This is going to have to be the way it is today. So, a couple things I just want to share with you about this passage that I think you need to know because he takes time with it. If you'll pull these up. When they want to know the signs of the times, he says three things. Is this working? Nope. Cool. I'm glad this morning I didn't decide to write those out and said, look to PowerPoint. (laughs) See if I can remember these. Yeah, I can remember them, I think. Well, he says, don't be led astray. And a couple of the ways that you're led astray, specifically as a Christian, is to be attracted to things that are more self-serving in ministry than actually the ministry of Jesus. And what I mean by that, it's like in Romans chapter 6 when they start talking about the law is abolished, so grace is, is going to abound. And the argument becomes, well, if that's the case, wouldn't it just be great if we sinned a lot? Because then Jesus would have to come in and show himself a lot. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You've decided to turn something into something that actually benefits you. He's saying, don't do that, right? Another thing is to try and relieve the mystery of the gospel and build your whole theology around one part. Some of us have lived under theologies built around justice where you're just afraid of Jesus. And some of us have lived under theologies that are just built on 
the kind of like brotherly love that would never challenge anyone. Like, I see that you're addicted to heroin, but God loves you. I don't want to really point to that heroin addiction. The idea that you can focus your whole theology on one, there's a tension that has to be held. He's saying you have to be careful for these things are coming and they're going to try and infiltrate the church. Does that make sense? There has to be a tension. So see to it that you're not led astray. And the second thing is the gospel will go to all the world. What good news to hear this. They're about to be beaten. The gospel is going to go to the world. It is going to go to the world. All throughout the world. You're going to take the gospel to the world. You're going to be a part of saying, I'm taking the gospel to the world no matter what's happening. It's not going to just happen through the temple. It's going to happen when you're preaching, Peter, in front of a a group of people who's trying to persecute you. And you're going to have also, this is the third thing, you're also going to have the Holy Spirit's power and wisdom and words. That's why when Christians in, in the book of Acts were on trial, it looked a lot like whoever was on putting them on trial was on trial. Because the Holy Spirit had so infilled them with what they needed for that moment in that hard situation that they said the perfect thing that no one could ever think. Those kind of things come in times where you cannot depend on anything of safety. You just have to be ready and willing. Now, that doesn't mean that you should show up to preach without ever having studied. It's not that kind of freedom. It doesn't mean that there should be no order in church and we should only do 15 worship songs and I should be allowed to run around this place and do whatever I want. That's not actually free worship. That's selfish worship. It does mean that the Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you need when you need it. And you can say it. And it will be perfect. If you want to live that way. But if you're living in temples and you're only willing to go to places that will give you identity through, you're not going to have that. And so, really today, I want to end on this so you can worship. You guys can go ahead and come up. Instead of looking for signs, right, to make sure you can stay safe, you have to hone in for what he's saying to you. He's asking you to trust and endure. Everybody say endure. I don't know why I'm saying it like that. So as we, as we keep going through Mark and as we talk about these passages that I'm sure bring so many things to the surface that are important, yes, I believe in the second coming of Jesus. Yes, I believe that there are more things happening now than that happened before. Are we being persecuted here in America? I don't know that we can really relate to this, just to be honest. Like that's, they're being killed at the stake for fun, being lit on fire in the middle of arenas. Our ideas of persecution is... Starbucks does something, or somebody doesn't like Tim Tebow. Like, we don't really get it, right? We don't, we're, we're not at this kind of place. We're not at the place that they were at. It, we're just not, right? But we are at a place where we need to take the gospel. We are at a place where we have to realize it's us who get to do that. And your hard time that you want to avoid will be the place that he does the most work. You cannot rush through a desert. I remember... Three weeks ago, and I hate even saying this, I even put words to it. When we basically are this close to getting this space down here, just some final stuff, it's going to be awesome. I felt like I was walking in that space because I broke in to pray, just like I did here. Um, I had permission. I was just kidding. But I felt like God said, we're going to give you this, and it's going to be awesome, right? Like, 
You're about to see things that happen through this church that you've dreamed about happening that there's no way you would have the capacity to do, Josh. And I really felt like I believe that. Like he's about to do some things, not to make our name great, but to make his name great, to serve our city. But then I, I felt like I heard him say, there's going to be a desert that comes first. And I had that like weighty feeling like, crap. Like I knew when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he got his identity. He was tempted three times. He went to the desert for 40 days. He learned how to hear the voice of God. He learned how to say no to Satan. He learned what his strengths are. He learned the power of enduring through a hard thing to get to ministry. And ever since then, is like all this stuff has hit the fan, right? Like for me at least, not in our church, but I sense him saying like, there's these tough things that are happening that you can't rush through. And I just know that some of you today can put your finger on something in your life that you need to be done right now. And so this morning when I was praying, yesterday when I was praying, I didn't want to make this service about me. I, I don't like doing that, but I felt like he was asking me to pray for people who are struggling through chronic things, through things that you just don't can't shake, whether it's spiritual, chronic healing that needs to happen or mental, physical, emotional, that you're walking through a season where you're just wishing the season was gone because it's not a fun season. And it, yes, Jesus, I understand desert. It feels like it's been forever. And I feel like he wants to pour into you today. I feel like he wants you to notice his voice, what he's saying to you in it, instead of just getting him to take all of it away. And so I don't know that we've done like an altar thing here, but if that happens to be you, any type of chronic hurt, pain in your body, any type of chronic mental depressive anything, I just, I'm just going to ask if you guys could just walk up and just join me up here. I'm going to receive prayer for this too. Just head up to this spot and then whoever's left, whose life evidently is perfect. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so and as you guys are in your seats, I want you to ask if you're supposed to come pray for someone. Out of all the people up here, if your issue is physical ailment, please raise your hand. So a lot of us. What about spiritual element? What about emotional all right, so this is my invitation to you. As the body of Christ, this is more church than even the previous part. This is more church. They need you to pray for them. I need you to pray for them and us. So if you feel the pull and the weight to pour into someone, I'm asking you to come up here and join and just put your hands on someone for the next few moments. Amen. Father, I just want to start by saying thank you for the ailments. Thank you for the struggles. Thank you for the persecution. Thank you for the hard times. Thank you for the tight spots. Thank you for the empty bank accounts. Thank you for the friends that need us that are in a bad spot. Thank you for the physical hurts we actually feel right now that help us to know we're dependent on you. These are all gifts. We don't see them as curses. We see them as a gift that draw us to your feet and say, Abba, 
We belong to you. We're your children. We need you. Only you and you alone can get us through this. Just for the next few moments, he's going to speak to some of you why you're in this spot. He's going to give clarity. You haven't even asked that question yet. He's going to give you clarity. Just ask it, why am I in this spot? Let him speak to you. This might be a stretch, but we're going to do it. Thank you for praying for me, Eric. There's something about praying with the saints. I don't know if this is a prophetic move. I don't know if this is a kick us in the seat of our pants move. But I'm calling and asking everyone who's up here to pray for someone to pray with words right now. Not because it makes us a better church, but because we need our prayers to start to arise. We need to lift one another up. So call out what you're praying for over people right now. Begin to, let's hear the murmur of the body of Christ waking up to call out what's needed. Listen to the beauty of what God does through us asking for the things that we need. Sense the unity that he puts within us as we call out together. We are all dependent on you, Father Jesus. We are all your creations. Intricately you formed us in our mother's womb. You know every hair on our head. You know the days of our lives. You know when we started. You know when we'll end. We ask you right now, God, to intervene with words of knowledge, with wisdom, with healings of all kinds, with grace, God, to withstand and to endure. Give us endurance, God. Father, as we continue to create a space in this sanctuary to just be with you and create space to to sit in your presence and, and bring clarity to us, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with how good you are, God, in good and bad times, to be overwhelmed with the mystery of the gospel we don't know, but also lock into the things that we do know, God, that we can trust you and lean into you, and that, Jesus, you are the way. As we go today, I pray that we would go knowing that the gospel is going to this world and that you will give us the words we need in the moments we need them, that we will be your mission people in pain or in healing. And Jesus, we thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.